When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Chapter 3 There was a time when a man in search of the pleasures of gossip sought the society of ladies. The man knows better now. He goes to the smoking room of his club. Dr. Wybrow lit his cigar and looked round him at his brethren in social conclave assembled. The room was well filled, but the flow of talk was still languid. The doctor innocently applied the stimulant that was wanted. When he inquired if anybody knew the Countess Nerona, he was answered by something like a shout of astonishment. Never, the conclave agreed, had such an absurd question been asked before. Every human creature, with the slightest claim to a place in society, knew the Countess Nerona. An adventuress with a European reputation of the blackest possible color, such was the general description of the woman with the death-like complexion and the glittering eyes. Descending to particulars, each member of the club contributed his own little stock of scandal to the memoirs of the Countess. It was doubtful whether she was really, what she had called herself, a Dalmatian lady. It was doubtful whether she had ever been married to the Count, whose widow she assumed to be. It was doubtful whether the man who accompanied her in her travels, under the name of Baron Rivar, and in the character of her brother, was her brother at all. Report pointed to the Baron as a gambler at every table on the continent. Report whispered that his so-called sister had narrowly escaped being implicated in a famous trial for poisoning at Vienna, that she had been known at Milan as a spy in the interests of Austria, that her apartment in Paris had been denounced to the police as nothing less than a private gambling house, and that her present appearance in England was the natural result of the discovery. Only one member of the assembly in the smoking room took the part of this much-abused woman and declared that her character had been most cruelly and most unjustly assailed. But as the man was a lawyer, his interference went for nothing. It was naturally attributed to the spirit of contradiction inherent in his profession. He was asked derisively what he thought of the circumstances under which the Countess had become engaged to be married, and he made the characteristic answer that he thought the circumstances highly credible to both parties, and that he looked on the lady's future husband as a most enviable man. Hearing this, the doctor raised another shout of astonishment, by inquiring the name of the gentleman whom the Countess was about to marry. His friends in the smoking-room decided unanimously that the celebrated physician must be a second Rip Van Winkle, and that he had just awakened from a supernatural sleep of twenty years. It was all very well to say that he was devoted to his profession, and that he had neither time nor inclination to pick up fragments of gossip at dinner-parties and balls— a man who did not know that the Countess Nerona had borrowed money at Hamburg of no less a person than Lord Mount Barry, and had then deluded him into making her a proposal of marriage, 
was a man who had probably never heard of Lord Mountberry himself. The younger members of the club, humoring the joke, sent a waiter for the peerage, and read aloud the memoir of the nobleman in question, for the doctor's benefit, with illustrative morsels of information interpolated by themselves. Herbert John Westwick, first Baron Mountberry, of Mountberry, Kings County, Ireland, created a peer for distinguished military services in India, born 1812, 48 years old, doctor at the present time, not married. We'll be married next week, doctor, to the delightful creature we have been talking about. Heir presumptive, his lordship's next brother, Stephen Robert, married to Ella, youngest daughter of the Reverend Silas Marden, rector of Runningate, and has issue three daughters. Younger brothers of his lordship, Francis and Henry, unmarried. Sisters of his lordship, Lady Barville, married to Sir Theodore Barville, and Anne, widow of the late Peter Norbury Esquire of Norbury Cross. Bear his lordship's relations well in mind, doctor. Three brothers, Westwick, Stephen, Francis, and Henry, and two sisters, Lady Barville and Mrs. Norbury. Not one of the five will be present at the marriage, and not one of the five will leave a stone unturned to stop it, if the countess will only give them a chance. Add to these hostile members of the family another offended relative not mentioned in the peerage, a young lady. A sudden outburst of protest in more than one part of the room stopped the coming disclosure and released the doctor from further persecution. Don't mention the poor girl's name. It's too bad to make a joke of that part of the business. She has behaved nobly under shameful provocation. There is but one excuse for Mountberry. He is either a madman or a fool. In these terms, the protest expressed itself on all sides. Speaking confidently to his next neighbor, the doctor discovered that the lady referred to was already known to him, through the countess's confession, as the lady deserted by Lord Mountberry. Her name was Agnes Lockwood. She was described as being the superior of the countess in personal attraction, and as being also by some years the younger woman of the two. Making all allowance for the follies that men committed every day in their relations with women, Mountberry's delusion was still the most monstrous delusion on record. In this expression of opinion, every man present agreed, the lawyer even included. Not one of them could call to mind the innumerable instances in which the sexual influence has proved irresistible in the persons of women without even the pretension to beauty. The very members of the club whom the Countess, in spite of her personal disadvantages, could have most easily fascinated, if she had thought it worth her while, were the members who wondered most loudly at Mountberry's choice of a wife. While the topic of the Countess's marriage was still the one topic of conversation, a member of the club entered the smoking-room whose appearance instantly produced a dead silence. Dr. Wybrow's next neighbor whispered to him, Mountberry's brother, Henry Westwick, the newcomer looked round him slowly, with a bitter smile. "'You are all talking of my brother,' he said. "'Don't mind me. Not one of you can despise him more heartily than I do. Go on, gentlemen, go on.' But one man present took the speaker at his word. The man was the lawyer, who had already undertaken the defence of the countess. "'I stand alone in my opinion,' he said, 
and I am not ashamed of repeating it in anybody's hearing. I consider the Countess Nerona to be a cruelly treated woman. Why shouldn't she be Lord Mountberry's wife? Who can say she has a mercenary motive in marrying him? Mountberry's brother turned sharply on the speaker. I say it, he answered. The reply might have shaken some men. The lawyer stood on his ground as firmly as ever. I believe I am right, he rejoined, in stating that his lordship's income is not more than sufficient to support his station in life. Also, that it is an income derived almost entirely from landed property in Ireland, every acre of which is entailed. Mountberry's brother made a sign, admitting that he had no objection to offer so far. If his lordship dies first, the lawyer proceeded, I have been informed that the only provision he can make for his widow consists in a rent charge on the property of no more than four hundred a year. His retiring pension and allowances, it is well known, die with him. Four hundred a year is therefore all that he can leave to the countess if he leaves her a widow. Four hundred a year is not all, was the reply to this. My brother has insured his life for ten thousand pounds, and he has settled the whole of it on the countess in the event of his death. This announcement produced a strong sensation. Men looked at each other and repeated the three startling words. Ten thousand pounds. Driven fairly to the wall, the lawyer made a last effort to defend his position. "'May I ask who made that settlement a condition of the marriage?' he said. "'Surely it was not the countess herself.' Henry Westwick answered, "'It was the countess's brother,' and added, "'which comes to the same thing.' After that, there was no more to be said, so long, at least, as Mountberry's brother was present. The talk flowed into other channels, and the doctor went home. But his morbid curiosity about the countess was not set at rest yet. In his leisure moments, he found himself wondering whether Lord Mountberry's family would succeed in stopping the marriage after all. And more than this, he was conscious of a growing desire to see the infatuated man himself. Every day during the brief interval before the wedding, he looked in at the club on the chance of hearing some news. Nothing had happened so far as the club knew. The Countess's position was secure. Mount Barry's resolution to be her husband was unshaken. They were both Roman Catholics, and they were to be married at the L in Spanish place. So much the doctor discovered about them, and no more. On the day of the wedding, after a feeble struggle with himself, he actually sacrificed his patients and their guineas and slipped away secretly to see the marriage. To the end of his life, he was angry with anybody who reminded him of what he had done that day. The wedding was strictly private. A close carriage stood at the church door. A few people, mostly of the lower class and mostly old women, were scattered about the interior of the building. Here and there, Dr. Wybrow detected the faces of some of his brethren of the club, attracted by curiosity, like himself. Four persons only stood before the altar, the bride and bridegroom, and their two witnesses. One of these last was an elderly woman, who might have been the countess's companion or maid. The other was undoubtedly her brother, Baron Rivar. The bridal party, the bride herself included, wore their ordinary mourning costume. 
Lord Montberry, personally viewed, was a middle-aged military man of the ordinary type. Nothing in the least remarkable distinguished him, either in face or figure. Baron Rivar, again, in his way, was another conventional representative of another well-known type. One sees his finely pointed moustache, his bold eyes, his crisply curling hair, and his dashing carriage of the head, repeated hundreds of time over on the boulevards of Paris. The only noteworthy point about him was of the negative sort. He was not in the least like his sister. Even the officiating priest was only a harmless, humble-looking old man, who went through his duties resignedly, and felt visibly rheumatic difficulties every time he bent his knees. The one remarkable person, the countess herself, only raised her veil at the beginning of the ceremony and presented nothing in her plain dress that was worth a second look. Never on the face of it was there a less interesting and less romantic marriage than this. From time to time the doctor glanced round at the door or up at the galleries vaguely anticipating the appearance of some protesting stranger in possession of some terrible secret, commissioned to forbid the progress of the service. Nothing in the shape of an event occurred, nothing extraordinary, nothing dramatic. Bound fast together as man and wife, the two disappeared, followed by their witnesses, to sign the registers. And still Dr. Wybrow waited. And still he cherished the obstinate hope that something worth seeing must certainly happen yet. The interval passed, and the married couple, returning to the church, walked together down the nave to the door. Dr. Wybrow drew back as they approached. To his confusion and surprise, the countess discovered him. He heard her say to her husband, "'One moment I see a friend.' Lord Mountberry bowed and waited. She stepped up to the doctor, took his hand, and wrung it hard. He felt her overpowering black eyes looking at him through her veil. One step more, you see, on the way to the end. She whispered those strange words and returned to her husband. Before the doctor could recover himself and follow her, Lord and Lady Mountberry had stepped into their carriage and had driven away. Outside the church door stood the three or four members of the club who, like Dr. Wybrow, had watched the ceremony out of curiosity. Near them was the bride's brother, waiting alone. He was evidently bent on seeing the man whom his sister had spoken to in broad daylight. His bold eyes rested on the doctor's face with a momentary flash of suspicion in them. The cloud suddenly cleared away. The baron smiled with charming courtesy, lifted his hat to his sister's friend, and walked off. The members constituted themselves into a club conclave on the church steps. They began with the Baron. Damned ill-looking rascal. They went on with Mount Barry. Is he going to take that horrid woman with him to Ireland? Not he. He can't face the tenantry. They know about Agnes Lockwood. Well, but where is he going? To Scotland? Does she like that? It's only for a fortnight. They come back to London and go abroad. And they will never return to England, eh? Who can tell? Did you see how she looked at Mount Barry when she had to lift her veil at the beginning of the service? In his place I should have bolted. Did you see her, doctor? By this time, Dr. Wybrow had remembered his patience and had heard enough of the club gossip. 
he followed the example of Baron Rivar and walked off. One step more, you see, on the way to the end, he repeated to himself on his way home. What end? Phoebe Reads a Mystery is recorded in the studios of North Carolina Public Radio, WUNC.